0: The death of George Floyd after a Minnesota police officer kneeled on his neck for several minutes has led to protests all over the United States. And protests here in Canada have also led to a discussion about this country's systemic racism. I'm Dave Brakenridge, and this is 10-3. I talk with Financial Post reporter Vanmela Subramaniam about what that systemic racism is why there's debate about it in Canada and how protests sparked by George Floyd's death could push our country to change. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this show on all your favorite listening platforms, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. We'd also love it if you could leave us a rating, a review and tell your friends about us. So Van Muller for More than a week and a half, the world has watched as protests and disorder grew across the United States and has spread around the world in the wake of the death of George Floyd at the hands of police. And as we've watched from north of the border, there's been growing discussion about race and racism in Canada. Do you feel that the discussion that we're getting here in Canada is actually getting to the heart of problems of racism in this country?
1: So I think one of the things I will say about the discussion on race in Canada is A, it's good that we're having a discussion on race in Canada, but B, I do remember that we had a discussion on race in Canada not too long ago in October when we went through that whole Trudeau blackface saga. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question on whether we're getting at the heart of problems in racism, I don't think we are because... I think that the discussion on racism here is still too much at a surface level. So for instance, we're still having these debates on whether there is systemic racism in Canada and we're analyzing and we are almost as people of color trying to prove that there is systemic racism in this country when really we should have moved beyond the, can we have examples of this phase and into the, all right, let's discuss what we can do and what are our solutions for structural racism in this country, which we know exist. So to me, having been in the media as a person of color for 10 years, watching the way we cover stories of people of color, of places outside our borders, with different racialized groups and cultures and religions, it has been very frustrating to see that in 2020, we are still actually having this very, very basic, almost unsophisticated conversation on race in this country. Mm-hmm. If that sounds harsh, I suppose, David, it's, it's just how I've been feeling over the last week that I've had to just explain this problem in a very one-on-one sense yeah. to Canadian media. And that to me is frustrating.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, in the wake of all this, you, we've seen many people in Canada talk of racism in Canada as to say, well, we're not as bad as the U S or thank God I don't live in the U S or we don't have a history with slavery and, and so on. And like, even if Canadian police don't have the same track record as police in the States in terms of dead people, dead bodies, there aren't as many examples potentially as racially motivated murder in Canada Do these shades of grey even matter or are we just looking at the excuses to avoid the topic here?
1: I don't think we're looking at excuses to avoid the topic because the thing is, I don't think we're actively avoiding the topic of race. What I think is happening here is there's almost a vacuum of information when you think about it in this country about race. So, for instance on a very structural level, we don't have enough accumulation of data on race. Like a one great example is during the pandemic, various journalists and academics have been talking about how difficult it is to get data on who has been affected by the virus from public health departments. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of data that we should be collecting, race-based data on literally everything. Another example I'll give you is when I was a reporter at Vice News before I joined The financial post, I was helping a friend with a story collecting data on who was arrested for simple possession of marijuana. And what we found was that data wasn't publicly available, and we almost had to go to every single police department across the country to find that data. And my colleague found that Black and Indigenous people were disproportionately affected by simple possession of marijuana. Mm-hmm. So the effort it takes to actually find out that that's structural racism in this country, if you're not exposed to it by having friends who have been victims of it or just having everyday microaggressions at work or you've experienced it yourself, it's very hard to actually quantify it. And I think that's why we keep going back to this question of does it exist, which is, again, as I mentioned, very unsophisticated. And there's a reason for that. It's simply because of this kind of vacuum of information, I feel.
0: Yeah, like in the United States, there's been lots of coverage about how in Many centres, especially places like New York, where Black people are disproportionately affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, there doesn't seem to be that same level of information in Canada. There seems to be, if they're collecting demographic information on patients, it's not released publicly or it's not held publicly. And it makes it harder to do that kind of reporting. Is that the kind of vacuum you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. That is the kind of vacuum I'm talking about. That's one kind of problem here that we have. But the second thing is, which compounds the problem is that you have the discourse here, you know, from the time you're in grade school all the way up to university to in the workplaces that this is a very tolerant society. It is a multicultural place. We are a cultural mosaic. We are not like the United States in that way. And so it kind of makes you think that everything is OK. It's almost just, you know, this might sound harsh, but a bit of a cop out from the political class to say, Everything's okay. We we bring in people from different countries. And just because we are very our cities are very diverse, we have actually dealt with the race issue well, which is very, very problematic because it sets us back many steps where you then have to educate people on the fact that this stuff does exist and we're not this utopia. So I think I mentioned it in a column that I wrote this week in the National Post where I said, It's very easy for corporations, for instance, and just generally the political class to say, we have put people on our boards that are people of colour, we have engaged in these things, we have diversity training at work with all these things and everything's okay, but the hard work has not been done. And in order to do the hard work to really understand where Canada stands on race, You need to have very uncomfortable conversations that are going to make mostly white people feel very angry, and that stuff needs to happen. And I feel that we as a society tend to want to avoid that discomfort.
0: One of the things you mentioned earlier was all this talk about how we have very permissive and open immigration policy. We welcome people here from all over the world, from different backgrounds and cultures, In your recent column, you were rebutting a column from contributor Rex Murphy, who tried to use that as a bit of a backstop to say, well, you know, racism doesn't exist because we're a welcoming country. But in your rebuttal, you talked about pretty widespread examples of even just on one area around race and policing. And you found examples of People who would have been former colleagues of his at the CBC who had experienced racism at the hands of police. Now, there may be an information vacuum when it comes to demographic information in various sectors. But it's not hard to find examples in that one area and I'm sure in many other areas, correct? Like mm-hmm. how easy was it to find examples in this country to rebut what I, I think was a fairly silly argument on Rex's part?
1: Right. It was a very simplistic, weak fact less argument and it's very very easy to find examples of let's just focus on one topic examples of police brutality and the effect it has on black and indigenous people it's very easy to find those examples by simply searching for them on google and i and i mean that very literally mm-hmm. you can actually search police brutality canada Black, Indigenous, and you will find news articles that actually tell you about all these cases and go into the injustice of how these families have had to use the court system to fight for justice against officers who have mistreated them. I I laid out those examples. And there are a couple of issues here. One is the Media has, and, you know, we we both work in it, but we haven't actually dedicated enough time in terms of having an army of reporters really focusing on things like police violence, race, how our justice system disproportionately disfavors, I guess, Black and Indigenous and people of colour in various ways. I myself, I'm a business reporter, so I have not done extensive reporting on that. But what I can say from just observing the media landscape is even that kind of reporting is much lacking. It is reserved to maybe a handful of reporters who are very good and have done their homework and who are excellent in that beat and they've been doing it for a while, but it tends to just get lost in the mess and. I wonder why. I don't know if I have the answer for you on that now, but I wonder if it's because people maybe just don't care enough about it because those incidents are being drowned out by this idea that everything is fine and we are a multicultural place and we're not the U.S. So it's really difficult. You you now have to start from scratch to actually change the way people are thinking about race, you know, I want to be optimistic about this moment because I want to feel like, well, maybe this is what needed to happen. Maybe we needed this kind of ripple effect from the U.S. to push us to think differently about our own racist systems in this country.
0: You kind of hit on something a moment ago that I think might be at the heart of this, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts. This idea of complacency and this idea that there are people who feel that Canada has shed its own troubled history. You know, we've had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. We've acknowledged the systemic racism that's been doled out in the past. But do you feel that this notion of complacency is what's keeping people from kind of living with that worldview? Yep, I think you
1: really hit on it. It is this notion of complacency. One of the examples I can just think of off the top of my head is that, and some people might obviously say this is controversial, but using the word genocide to describe what happened to missing and murdered Indigenous women in this country was in itself a debated issue when it was laid out and recommended by a commission that studied what happened to missing and murdered Indigenous women and concluded that it was a genocide. But that became a debate. So that to me, I guess from an intellectual point of view, highlights the discomfort At the heart of it, it's a discomfort at wanting to say we have a problem here. And I think you see that playing out this week in the discourse. And we've had leaders in this country and former leaders, so Stockwell Day being an example, Doug Ford saying that there's no systemic racism. And it's just incredibly shocking to me that we're still at this point where the leaders themselves don't want to say because I wonder if saying we have systemic racism is then admitting that they themselves have failed in their jobs to really understand the structural issues or systems at play that have led to this. So that's just one example, and I, and I could really go on on that for a while. But, you know, coming back to your question on complacency, we are complacent. And I think, you know, if you just look, compare Canada to, say, a developing nation. I mean, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Malaysia. But if you compare it to, say, Malaysia, there are certain things that this country has that work well. So, for instance, for the most part, and I'm not saying that this is for everyone because... There's a growing inequality in this country as well, and there are various problems. But for the most part, we have things like a public healthcare system. We don't have an absolutely deranged leader as our prime minister, unlike, you know, south of the border, that where they have to actually wrestle someone who has white supremacist beliefs. So it is fair to say that, yeah, you know, maybe to some extent we are better. But I think saying that leads to the complacency. It doesn't mean being better means we don't have work to do. We have a lot of work to do.
0: Talking about leadership in this country, in the the wake of the killing of George Floyd by police and the protests that have followed, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his cabinet have tried to use their platform to bring a spotlight on the issue of race in this country, as many other politicians and public figures have done. But as someone who wrote last year Mm -hmm. uh, during the election, wrote commentary on Trudeau's past use of blackface and him trying to acknowledge his blind spots when it comes to race. Do you feel that the federal government has done enough in the last six months to illustrate seriousness on this issue? Or was it a case of these incidents were uncovered last fall, he apologized, and they've moved on and we haven't seen anything since then?
1: To put it bluntly, Dave, I don't think the federal government has done anything since the whole blackface incident to actually understand systemic racism in this country. Mm. And when that happened back in October, because I remember talking about it extensively and thinking about it extensively, and my biggest fear was that this would just be a one-week phenomenon where we talk about race and then that's it. Nothing is done. And I think that is exactly what happened. It's not just this government. I don't think we have actually ever had a government that has made dealing with systemic racism a priority and not just a side project. So it's one thing for Justin Trudeau to stand there and say he recognizes that he has a blind spot and he understands what he did was wrong, which is exactly what he did back in October when we had the election. But then what do you do about that? Okay, you personally had a blind spot, but then what do you do about that? Like, do you want to make it a priority to sit down with city councillors, mayors, people at the provincial level to understand the failings of your own policing system, the failings of your justice system? Are you willing to have what you might think is a radical conversation about defunding the police and actually understanding what the interaction between the police forces and Black and Indigenous people in particular, you know, are you willing to do that? And Until we see a very concerted effort, which has some degree of longevity to it, to actually address these issues, I would say that is exactly what you call a platitude. It's just a performative platitude to say that I apologized and everything is fine and it doesn't really get to the heart of the problem in any way at all. The final thing I'll say about it is that I really hope this time in history that we're going through these past five, six days, I hope that that is not a repetition of what we went through in October. I really hope that this is the turning point for this country in terms of going beyond just discussing whether racism exists.
0: We'll see if Canada and the world at large is ready for those discussions. Vanwala, thanks very much for your time.
1: Thank you very much, Dave. 10.3
0: 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Van Mala Subramaniam. More from her at financialpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.